Uh, joining us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is incredibly busy as we are counting down the days a little over a week until the 2023 NFL Draft, and maybe things are getting more interesting, at least from the rumor standpoint. And joining us, it's ESPN NFL Draft Guru, Matt Miller. Matt, thanks for the time. How are you? I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on, as always. You know, it's funny. We live in the moment, don't we? And now we're in this moment where all of a sudden you start to hear these rumors floating around about this and that and who's not liked and who is more loved than the other guy. It's just normal operation procedure. Is it not a little over a week until the NFL draft right now? It is normal, and I, I think it is because we live in, in – like, that's a great way to put it. We absolutely do live in the moment, and it is a fluid process. And I all year this year I've been reminding folks of 2021 because the San Francisco 49ers traded up in February to number three overall uh, – or excuse me, in March. And everyone thought, hey, they traded up for Mac Jones. Well, they didn't. They traded up for Trey Lance. And when they made that decision was late in the process. You know, it, it, So I think that's something that we have to remind ourselves this year is we can hear, you know, six weeks ago we can hear that the Panthers like C.J. Stroud. They may have at that time. Right now they like Bryce Young. And I think that's why we see Bryce really as close as you can be to locked in as the number one overall pick. And, and then we're all just chasing the dominoes after that, that first one falls. Uh, Matt Miller of ESPN joins us. So there was one, your colleague Adam Schefter of ESPN was quoted as saying yesterday on NFL Live that the Colts at number four would get the second best quarterback on the board. Is that your read right now, Matt? Yeah, it is. And I have a seven-round mock draft coming out early next week. It's it's done. That's the you know peek behind the curtain. And I have the Houston Texans taking Will, Will Anderson Jr., the defensive end from Alabama. And that is based on not what I would do, but it's based on what you're hearing around the NFL. Then we have the Arizona Cardinals at pick number three. I can't find anyone who wants to trade up when talking to teams. You know, you can talk to 12 scouts and, hey, you think you guys are moving up? No. Nope. Or, hey, do you think anyone else is moving up? Nope. So you can talk to GMs. Hey, is it, have you heard any chatter about people moving up? Not really. So it would be – I think it could happen. But it would be right now a surprise if someone were to jump into that number two or number three spot to get ahead of the Colts to get that second quarterback off the board. Again, check out that uh, draft that's coming up from Matt Miller, the NFL draft guru from ESPN with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We'll get to more of that in depth with you in just a second. But I had you on maybe three weeks ago, and and I gave you my scenario that I'd heard that the Colts back during the season, because when you have a really circusy joke of a season, as the Colts had a year ago, you start talking about high draft selection quarterback possibilities uh, as I did back in October and I had heard at that time that there was a great deal of interest in Will Levis now I haven't really heard anything since we talked about that the last time out but in the past week you have heard that C.J. Stroud may be falling the Vegas odds state that C.J. Stroud is falling and I had also heard that maybe and this was maybe going back four weeks or so ago that Stroud maybe doesn't have the leader quality or that value right now as a lot of teams want to draft him that high. Is that part of the reason why we see some of those folks out there in the know and those odds makers in Vegas suggesting that he's going to fall? And I, I think potentially, I haven't heard anything about CJ and leadership or anything like that. Um, not discounting what you've heard. You know sure. how it is. Sometimes sure. one person tells you one thing. Uh, so I think it's more so that it's, you know, he was so locked in at two in the minds of everybody a month ago. 
the closer we get, it does seem like the Texans don't feel like they have to take a quarterback at two. The Cardinals aren't going to take a quarterback at three. And because there's that lack of trade buzz right now, excuse me, it is hard to find a, you know, to get the Raiders to come up or to get the, the Titans to come up. And so I think CJ, you know, quote, unquote, falling is more that no one's coming up to get him and the teams at two and three aren't going to draft a quarterback. So I think, the, I think India four is a sweet spot for him. And it's funny because when you and I talked last, we would have never like really imagined a scenario where he would be available at pick number four. All the focus was on, okay, like CJ and Bryce go one, two, then what happens? And so now it's this, this, situation where really for Chris Ballard and co this is a dream scenario where a player who is you know the one B to Bryce Young's one A is going to be available at pick number four you know what's funny about that Matt is um, it's not like anybody's probably telling me the truth even if they're telling me anything right now and (laughs) and really I've told the Colts around here they should give me some award because I'm running probably the best misdirection for them here locally for the fan base of all time but that it it is it it is interesting the the dynamic dynamic that 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 maybe they weren't thrilled uh initially as i expect them to be with stroud i think this is great if it does play out this way because that's who i loved at quarterback in this draft but i just can't get that leadership quality or lack thereof out of my head I, i guess what it comes down to is certainly talent you can teach that i would guess but maybe the talent is something you can't teach in this case right if that's true I think so. I mean, the last two years, you could make a very good argument. He was the best quarterback in college football. And to step in and replace Justin Fields, and you know, there was no guarantee he was going to be the starter in 2021 at Ohio State. He had to beat out some very good quarterbacks. So for him to come in and beat those four- and five-star guys out, um, I think that says a lot about, okay, he's – you know, you would think like, hey, he was a four-star recruit. He was like the number four recruit in California. Uh, you know, maybe – uh, maybe, you know, he's not battled adversity. Well, he definitely has because he's, you know, he's had to challenge for those jobs because at Ohio State, absolutely nothing's handed to you. So I think the way that he has played uh, has really said a lot. You know, he was a team captain last year. He's only missed one game in college. So I think his toughness shows up a lot. Um, I'm a fan, obviously. Um, and I, I do think that whereas Levis and Richardson have more potential, they have higher ceilings, uh, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks with high ceilings not work out. And I think the beauty with Stroud is he's ready to go right now at 21 years old with without that projection. There's not anything you have to fix for him to be your guy. He's ready to roll. Yeah, I talked to Gardner Minshew last week on this show. And, of course, he's always ready to roll, as, as you well know. Um, yep. He is here, and I'm sure that's just uh, just in case. And I've gone over a lot of these thoughts of, you know, if you went Levis, how long is it going to take for him to solidify? If you go Richardson, it's going to take a while. Hooker, it's going to be a while. C.J. Stroud is a guy, you think, if they end up being fortunate in number four and he is there, they draft him, is he good to go and good to go immediately to start this season in your estimation for the Colts? He is, in my opinion. Uh, you know, the ability to process information um, is absolutely there. Everyone I've talked to at Ohio State absolutely loves him. Um, so, yeah, I think he, I think he's ready to rock and roll, especially if, you know, the Colts believe in this group of offensive linemen they have, if Bernard Raymond's going to, you know, develop into the, the player we saw at the end of last year. If Quentin Nelson gets back to, you know, being a Hall of Famer, I don't know what happened last year. If it, you know, with the injuries, hopefully he gets back to normal, but. I think it's an ascending roster with, with JT in the backfield, with Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce, wide receiver. You want to add at least one more wide receiver. I'm a huge Johnny Woods fan at tight end. So I think you've got a good young group there. 
that someone like CJ Stroud can step into that room and, and operate. You know, he's a he's a distributor. You know, and I, I think when you have weapons like Pittman, Pierce, Woods, you know, who are all big guys who can separate, can do things vertically, uh, Stroud fits into that perfectly. So you think that Carolina at the top, you think that they just realized through, you know, vetting this process that Young was their guy. Did they initially like Stroud and just kind of had a change of heart here? What, how do you think that may be going down? I think they traded up knowing that they were going to like one of the two enough right. to draft them at one. And I, I think, you know, coming out of the combine where they met with both players, I imagine they were high-fiving each other saying, we're going to get one of these guys, and they're both really, really good. So we're okay with it. You know, it's, it is. It's a lot like when San Francisco traded up. They traded up with the idea of Mac Jones being their guy. And throughout the process, they came around to Trey Lance. So I think when you make a, a move that big, you're saying to yourself and to your, your franchise, we like enough guys, you know, at this spot that we're going to have a choice between two really good players. And that's where the, the Panthers were at is they're both fantastic. And I think with, with CJ, you're, you're always looking at, you know, not great against pressure with Bryce, you know, he's an outlier in terms of size. So, you know, there are, there are weaknesses to both player. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think they chose the guy that they believe can, can lead their specific team. Hey, Matt, last time you were on, we talked about the Colts being comfortable at number four and there being no buzz whatsoever about them trying to, to get up or do anything else. Is that comfort level? Because they'll all tell you this after the fact. Well, that's exactly how we had that going. We knew that they were going to do this. <laughs> right, they right. all end up saying that. Uh, is this true? I mean, do you, do you think that there's been enough intel between the Colts and Carolina and these other teams in front of them that they knew that they could be secure and feel comfortable in staying at four? I'll believe that in, in nine days if they don't trade up. But <laughs> I think that is, that's the job of a Chris Ballard, you know, is to, to have those connections around the league. And obviously, you know, you, you got a division rival in Houston. They're probably not giving you a whole lot of information. I can tell you they're not giving me a whole lot of information. Yeah. So I don't imagine they're giving anyone a ton to work with. That's Nick Casario. That's how that goes. But you know, I, I think you, you want to have that relationship to talk to, to people and find out. And, you know, they're reading the mock drafts that we put out, trying to find a nugget to see if we know something they may, can maybe piece together. I will say it's interesting. The Texans at two, Nick Casario. The Cardinals at three, Monty Ossenfort. They were together in New England. So there are connections uh, at, at pick two and pick three where they might be able to lock some people out and just do what they want to do. And then the Colts are, are going to be, you know, left guessing, but there are really good options for Indy. There's not a bad pick for Indy, I don't believe, at pick four. It's uh, Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Again, his uh, mock draft is uh, coming out. We'll get to that again before we close this out. You mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, nobody you're talking to doesn't seem like that there's a great vibe about any teams trying to move up and get in front of the Colts, for example, at, at number three as of right now. Do you, you think that that may change in the next nine? days or so absolutely it, it could also change if the asking price changes i think that's a big part of it is you know the the, the texans and colts had the option to trade up to number one overall and didn't do it and that's probably because the price was too high well we'll see what the price is now you know does the price change are you a little bit more comfortable you know going up a smaller amount you know going not having to go three first round picks you comfortable maybe giving up a two and a four this year and a three next year to, to swap spots or to jump a spot so i think that's what we could see is 
the asking price might go down a little bit uh, just because there's not that urgency. Uh, you also mentioned you got a full draft that's coming out here as well. And if I look ahead at the Colts, they got a second round 35, third round at 79. We'll stay there right now. I'm assuming they they look at corner because that is a desperate need for them right now. And I guess cornerback is, we'll start right there, quarterback is a fruitful position in the 2023 NFL draft, correct? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think you can find, you know, obviously starter caliber players in round two. We've seen a, a nice, strong track record of that. So uh, if that's the direction they go, then, yeah, I think you're looking at good players. DJ Turner from Michigan, one of my favorite players in the draft outside of round one, ran the fastest 40 of any player at the combine. Great impressed man at the line of scrimmage. So if corner is that that option of, okay, we, we got our quarterback, now we got to get a corner. I think you could you could stack it and get two pretty good players that way. What about edge rusher if that's the path they would take? The second round, number thirty-five overall. Yeah, I, I do think we're going to see we're going to see a late run on edge rushers. I think in round one, but um, you know players like Keon White from Georgia Tech, Will McDonald from Iowa State, uh, Felix Anaduke Uzoma from Kansas State. You know there are there are multiple guys where you look at them and you say, okay, yeah, this guy's a first rounder. But it's a little bit harder to find a team to grab them late first round. So I think those are the, the players you get excited about that could potentially slip through the cracks. Let's, uh, Matt Miller with us. Finally, too, uh, wide receiver, that position. How deep is it in this particular draft? Because we both know and we'd recognize the Colts probably need to draft one in this draft as well. What do you think? I think it runs out of talent a little earlier than we're used to. You know, there's not the top, top-end guys. There's not a Jamar Chase you know, it's not like last year we're not going to have three going to the top 15. But it's it's a good group through round two, round three. I think then it starts to dry up a little bit. And it is, I'll say this, it is one of the smallest wide receiver classes I can remember just in terms of sheer size. There's a lot of 5'9", 180. There's a lot of guys who are, you know, slot-only type players, which could work well for the Colts because, like we talked about, you've got those two, you know, two mountains on the outside with Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman Jr. Again, it's uh, Matt Miller. His uh, draft mock draft for the NFL 2023 draft is about set to drop. Final thing regarding C.J. Stroud. A lot was made about the talent around him, and maybe he wasn't as good, and he benefited certainly from that talent. I don't know a player anywhere in professional sports that doesn't benefit from talent around him, but how much of a factor, if at all, was that for you, given that C.J. Stroud, you have number four at the Colts? It, it doesn't bother me. I think, you know, we can look at you know, is it Jerry Rice or Joe Montana? You know, which who is the who is the great player? Maybe it was both. You know, and so I think it's funny. We we will criticize college quarterbacks for oh, they too much talent around them. And the minute they get in the NFL, what do we want to do? We want to surround them with talent. So uh, the the goal is that CJ Stroud is going to have good players around him in the NFL as well. Uh, and so I, I think that's that's the key is you know make sure he has weapons, just like you want to make sure Josh Allen has weapons. You know, we, they can't all be Patrick Mahomes winning Super Bowls without 1,000-yard receivers. So I think as, a, as an organization, you want to make sure you keep him surrounded by really good players. We're all at some point doing this kind of a jackass, you know? I mean, we really are. That's just kind of how – I know me. I think about that all the time. I go home and look in the mirror and go, man, you just said some jackass stuff today. Come on, man. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. What yeah. are you talking about? Hey, Will Levis, before I let you go, where does, where does he end up going? 11 to the Titans is probably his floor, I would think. Yeah. Um, I, I think the Raiders at seven, maybe. But uh, he's, he's one player that's getting a little bit harder to figure out 
if things go the way we're talking about, what happens to him? So, Matt Miller, i got to let him go here. He's been fantastic. At NFL Draft Scout is where you're going to find him on Twitter. And your mock draft is coming out again when? Monday morning. Monday morning. I can't wait for that, too. By the way, I call stuff around here sports arousals. That's when sports things here locally get everybody excited. You just got everybody a sports arousal and got them excited by that C.J. Stroud pick. Well done. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, man, it's always a pleasure, buddy. Have a great day, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Andy Moore, Automotive Group, Potline, ESPN, NFL, draft analyst, college football writer, NFL writer, and more. It is Jordan Reed again on the Andy Moore, Automotive Group, Potline. Hello, Jordan. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I hope all is well on your end. Thanks for having me. You got it. Um, There has been an interesting twist. And again, I've tried to explain it to folks out there that this is like normal operational procedure when we get nine days or so clear from the draft. You start to hear a lot of stuff, and a lot of it is untrue. But how much are you buying into the described slide of C.J. Stroud from what many people thought may have been a couple of weeks ago, the top selection? With Carolina now maybe sliding down certainly to four, even further than that. How much truth to you is behind it, and why, why, if so, are we hearing it right now? Well, this is the tough part of gauging the draft, and this is what I like to call the white noise section of it, just because there's so many things, there's so much static that you're going to hear. It could flip-flop a week or so from now. CJ Stroud could go number one overall. It could be Will Levis. It could be Bryce Young. So, we don't really know what's going to happen with the number one overall pick. But with CJ, I have no idea why he's sliding, just because I think his tape is really good. He's the most polished passer of this year's group. And, yes, I know he had a litany of weapons to throw to during his time at Ohio State. But with this film, I think he's very polished, and I think his floor is very high coming into the NFL. I Honestly, Jordan, I can't imagine – like I, I mentioned this, you kind of look at it two different ways for Houston. I understand that Will, Will Anderson is a great defensive player. No doubt about that. That's the expectation. But Houston is quarterback necessary without question right now. So I don't know whether to look at it. I know some have kind of presented this question to me. Do you look at it like, wow, if Houston's passing up on this, there must be something really wrong. Or who the hell's running Houston's organization? Why are they passing up on this? How do you view that at number two? Yeah, and it could be something behind the scenes that we don't know, and maybe something pops up on draft day to make everything uh, clear as far as why CJ sliding. But I just don't see, just based on his film, the person, the character, I think all that stuff is squeaky clean. So with Will Anderson, maybe it's a situation of they have him higher ranked on their board, but I just don't see how they can trot out Case Keenum or Davis Mills going into next season and take Will Anderson and place him at the defensive end instead of having C.J. Stroud being their week one starter. Yeah, I mean, it just it seems like that the, the risk versus reward is much more profound if you're the Texans than, than it is just going with somebody you like and hopefully you can mold them into to what some people believe he's going to be and not, I guess, what others believe in a negative fashion what, what they think he's going to be at the NFL level. That's some dangerous territory, it would seem. 
Yeah, it is. And whenever you're talking about passing on a quarterback and hoping that you could get a quarterback the following year, that's just – it's a situation where I don't think NFL teams operate from just because every year they're fighting for job security and every team is different too. So I just don't see how the Texans can think that way. So Jordan Reed again via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So give me your thoughts. We're going to move on to some other positions, especially of need from the Colts and what may be a little bit more robust position-wise in this upcoming NFL draft. But Stroud, Levis, Young, Richardson, those four are the most often talked about quarterbacks at the top or near the top of this draft. Um, outside of Young, we know what he's about. Give us a comparison and maybe a contrast to Levis and Stroud and Richardson, in your opinion. Uh, I'll just start with Levis. Um, the player that I see in talking about the positives and the negatives of him is Carson Wentz. And if you think about it, with Carson, he was beloved coming into the pre-draft process, ended up being the number two overall selection. And at his peak, he was an MVP candidate during that 2018 season before he ended up tearing the ACL. So, Carson Wentz, I think, is a very apt comparison for him. Big, strong arm, competitive runner, can make all the throws that you want, but it's just the turnovers and the decision-making are the things that you worry the most about with Levis, very similar to Carson Wentz. Um, C.J. Stroud is the other. I see Joe Burrow um, when I'm watching C.J. Stroud, and that's just at his absolute peak. Uh, If he's able to reach his ceiling, I think he can be a Joe Burrow type of player. It's just with C.J., the mobility. Can he consistently be mobile, creating out of structure, and then making, even when offensive coordinators call the wrong play, can he make make it the right play? That's going to be the big thing with C.J. We saw it against Georgia. We saw it against Northwestern. If he can consistently make those plays, I think he can be a franchise player going forward. And then with Anthony Richardson, he has all of the physical traits that you want at the position, but his poor footwork leads to bad accuracy or inaccurate passes right now, but he's only started 13 games. And just to put this into context, as far as the type of player that we're dealing with, since 2000, there's only been two other quarterbacks that have went in the first round that had 13 career college starts or less, and that's Mark Sanchez and Mitchell Trubisky. So he's hoping that his career turns out different from those two players. Where where are teams right now in your estimation on Richardson? Because it seemed like, and, and again, I normally bypass this and don't pay a lot of attention but his his pro day was an eye opener because he's so huge, so quick, so light on his feet, so incredibly athletic. It's tough not to go, oh wow. But where are teams right now considering, you know, trying to trade up, not trading up, giving up value for him? Is there interest out there in trying to move up to secure him, even with those thirteen starts collegiately as quarterback? Yeah, it really just depends on the teams and the scouts that you talk to. There's some there's some teams that feel as if he's a first-rounder. There's some teams that will be scared endless to take him in the first round just because it's very hard to improve those inaccuracies within his footwork. And then also some of the other things that he has going on that's not in his favor right now. I don't like using the word raw or, pro- or a project with him just because I think he's just inexperienced and he just needs to gain some more experience. So it really just depends on um, exactly who you talk to. But as far as the pro day, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. And with pro days, with quarterbacks, I always compare it to watching a golfer on the green or on the on the driving range. Just keep it in the green. He was able to do that. But he's just one of those players when you see him up close, it's like seeing a professional golfer hit it 350-plus yards yeah. on the fairway. It's just amazing 
when you see it and how easy he does it. Well, I, I mean, I know that they made you know Cam Newton comparisons, but even with that, he just he just looked so big <laughs> to be able to do yeah. what he was doing, and and again, light on his feet, athletic. What do you think the timetable is on Richardson if he's going to come around? and be what some believe he can be positively in the NFL, how long will a team have to wait? It honestly just depends. It's a case-by-case basis, and I don't think there's no time that you can put on a quarterback's development just because it clicks for different people. Like Jalen Hurts is an example. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, Geno Smith could be an example. It took Geno nearly a decade while it took Jalen three years to really get to the, the positions that they're in. So there's really no timetable, but – with these project quarterbacks, it's always tricky. And it really just depends on the leash that the coach has or the job security that the GM has within the building. So for the Colts, for example, I don't know if Chris Ballard is going to be willing to bet on a project quarterback just because um, he has to get this quarterback pick right, just because he's been through so many veteran retreads, whether it's Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz. He has to get this selection right. But with Shane Steichen, we saw what he was able to do with a player like Jalen Hurts that needed some help just to make those rough ends come together and form all the positives that he does have. So with Richardson, I think the Colts will be a great situation for him. But with Gardner Minshew, Sam Ellinger, some of the other quarterbacks that they have on the roster, he's probably going to have to play right away, which is the trickiest part about Anthony Richardson's evaluation. Yes, you want to use the Kansas City Chiefs blueprint when they had Alex Smith um, with Patrick Mahomes sitting behind Alex Smith. Excuse me, not saying Richardson's going to beat Mahomes, but just using that blueprint of where you want to sit him out for a year, having him learn to be a pro and get better at those negatives that he does have. But the only way that Richardson is going to get better at his current negatives is to have on-the-job training and playing. So that's the tricky part about his entire evaluation, in my opinion. Jordan Reed joins us from ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, NFL draft analyst on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Is Stroud ready-made to start in in week number one? Would you have any doubts? Let's just say, for example, the Colts draft him at number four if they get what I believe to be an incredible gift in their lap. Is is he week one ready in your estimation? Yeah, I think so, without question. He's the most polished of anybody in this group. He has the highest floor of any quarterback in this group, too. And I think with C.J., if he's able to go to a situation where Indianapolis would be able to play him right away, him having Jonathan Taylor behind him, they still need to add some pieces up front along the offensive line. I know they had some inconsistencies up front last year. He already has some weapons. Alec Pierce was great during his rookie season. Michael Pittman Jr. is another player I think is going to be really good for them in the future, too. So he has visible pieces already in place. But getting a piece like C.J. Stroud, I think is going to make everything come together. Is Levis ready-made to start in week number one? Where is he in comparison, in your opinion, to Stroud? I think he is, honestly. But you just have to understand that it's going to be a very bumpy ride uh, with him. There's going to be some, what I like to call, what man, what was he thinking moments. But there's also going to be a lot of moments of where he wows you too. So just understand that it's going to be a bumpy ride, and you have to take Uh, the bumps and bruises that he's going to have during his development just because you never know uh, the type of player that's going to show up on certain plays, but there's some plays where he's going to wow you in good and bad ways. Was was a year ago in Lexington more a product of him or a product of the lack of he what he had around him? Because you, you kind of consider you know some of the negatives that have been brought out is because C.J. Stroud in Columbus had a great deal around him. The negatives that have been brought out with Levis is that he didn't really have anybody around him a year ago at 
Kentucky. Is is that a real is that a real opinion out there, or is that just one of those kind of baseless things where people are just guessing at this point and is approaching the draft as we are? Well, it's all honestly an educated guess, but everything was set up for Will Levis last year. He had Liam Cohen, who was a fantastic offensive coordinator. He had really good weapons. Wanda Robinson ended up being a third-round pick to the Giants. And then also, he had really good offensive linemen. Two years ago, Luke Fortner ended up playing a lot of games for the Jacksonville Jaguars as a rookie. Darian Kennard is going to end up being a key contributor as a depth piece for the Chiefs this next season. So he's losing valuable pieces, and he lost all of that last year. And then you combine that with the injuries that he had. He had a turf toe, and then he also had a shoulder injury too. So there was a lot of things working against him last year, but which player are you getting? Is it the 2021 version of Levis or is it the 2022 version of Levis? That's the big question that you're going to have to answer, and we're not going to have an answer until he steps on the NFL field. Uh, Jordan Reed of ESPN's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So, again, what allegedly has Carolina seen and soaked up regarding Bryce Young compared to the other three right now? So what, what in the opinion of Carolina, again, allegedly, reportedly, makes Young so different than Levis, Stroud, or Richardson. How far above the other three might he be right now in your estimation? Well, I think it's just the poise that he plays with, the poise, the pocket presence, and then just understanding how to have a feel for the position. And I know he's not the biggest guy in the world, five foot ten and a half, just over 200 pounds, but it's just the feel that he has for the position. But the thing that's most impressive about Bryce Young is just – he has the same heartbeat no matter the magnitude of the situation. And even in Alabama's two losses last year against LSU and Tennessee, he constantly made plays to keep them in the game. It was the defense that really failed him in both of those games. But he was going blow for blow with both of those teams. And if you think about it, Alabama has been a wide receiver factory over the past decade. And if you look at the, the stat sheet, his leading receiver last year was Jameer Gibbs, who's a running back. So he didn't have any weapons. Alabama's offensive line wasn't great a year ago either. So you're talking about a player that can uplift despite having a pedestrian supporting cast. But now you put him in Carolina, a place where he has a young and ascending offensive line. I still think they need to add, add some more pieces on the perimeter. As far as wide receiver, they bought in Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, and they have Terrace Marshall too. So I still would like to see them, see them add another high-end talent at wide receiver but he's shown to be capable of uplifting the supporting cast. So Jordan Reed of ESPN with us. Where is, as far as, you know, the number one in depth in this draft, positionally speaking, where is that? Um, there's a lot of positions. The top three, I would say, are running back, tight end, and cornerback. I think those are your three deepest positions right now in this draft class, and we can see as many as seven tight ends go inside of the top three rounds. When you look at the cornerback position, that's certainly one of need for the Colts. Of course, they got to have a second-round selection. And, and some of these guys, like uh, Witherspoon, for example, and, and Gonzalez, and, and maybe even you know, Julius Brents, I'm not sure, be off the board. How much availability might they have if they choose to go cornerback in round two, which they may not. They may try to go wide receiver, which is also a need. But plenty of cornerbacks to choose from in round number two for the Colts if they do end up choosing to go that direction. Yeah, I think somebody like Julius Brents of Kansas State would be a really good pick. Hometown kid right there from Indianapolis. So I think he would be a really good pick. But also Keely Ringo of Georgia. I think he's one that they've had in for a visit. He fits their scheme really well, too. So two players I think they could get at the top of the second round if they want it. I think most people have Christian Gonzalez of Oregon at the top of, of the list, cornerback-wise. What makes him different 
uh, in a lot of opinions as far as his transition to the NFL at that position than others that are also at the cornerback position? It was just the length and the athleticism with him. He also has the ball skills. Him coming over from Colorado, he didn't have any ball production there. But as far as his technique, he's very polished. His instincts are very good in zone. He can play press man. He can play off man. There's so many different boxes that he can check. And I, I think he's the best cornerback prospect in this entire draft, in my opinion. It's again, Jordan Reed of ESPN.com. Do we have any uh, any future Hall of Famers, in your opinion, that we might be talking about coming out of this draft, maybe at the top of this draft? Anybody pique your interest as far as really far down the road projection-wise, Hall of Fame-worthy uh, type of conversation? <laughs> If you find out, let me know. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, nobody even piques your interest as a long. Is I, I guess what I would describe it as can't miss. Like who, who's the um, most can't miss in your opinion? And maybe, maybe, maybe not that transitions into Hall of Fame, but who's the can't miss, going to produce early and often, and have longevity in this draft? I, I will go with Peter Skaronski of Northwestern. I think he can play guard. He can play tackle. Reminds me a lot of Joe Tooney. Uh, when he was coming out, David DeCastro was another popular comparison that you'll hear for him, too. So he would be the one that I would go with just because he could play inside, he could play outside. I would start him at tackle first um, just so he can prove that he cannot play that position first. I think he can play tackle. But if he doesn't project well outside, I think he can slide in to be a day-one starter at guard, too. Hey, Jordan, what's the wide receiver position look like in this draft? Uh, it looks very good. Um, there's not the high-end talent that we've seen in years past, but there's a lot of depth in this group. The top three names you hear, Jack Smith and Jigba of Ohio State, Jordan Addison of USC, and then also Zay Flowers of Boston College. But there's a lot of depth into day two and even day three in this group, too. Yeah, well, I guess what it was described to me is maybe – I don't want to put it this way, but I guess I have to – kind of smallish slot ride receivers. This is kind of uh, – this draft is robust in that category more so than the, the bigger, stronger wide receivers. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. There's a bunch of smaller wide receivers in this group, but there's some big ones in this group too, but it's more so on day two and day three. Cedric Tillman of Tennessee is one name you hear. Rasheed Rice of SMU, and then, of course, first-round caliber players, Quentin Johnston is the biggest of this group out of TCU. It's uh, Jordan Reed with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Line. I'm going to let you go here, but uh, what do you got on tap as far as working for ESPN? You got some work, I think, forthcoming here. Talk it up, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's J-O-R-D-A-N underscore R-E-I-D. You can follow all of my work there. Sending out NFL draft-related tweets all the time. You can also find my work on ESPN.com and ESPN Plus alongside my colleagues Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Matt Miller. We're going to have some fireworks, you think? Uh, trading up, some stuff like that, or is this going to be kind of you know, normal, just pick by pick no. here? What do you think? I think we're going to have a lot of moving around in this draft class just because it doesn't have the high-end talent. Like we saw a year ago, there isn't an Aiden Hutchinson or a Sauce Gardner in this group. So I think we're going to see a lot of moving around, especially inside the top ten. Number four overall, the Colts will select. Um, I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson, quarterback, Florida. Really? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think he's a very <laughs> he, he would be a really good player for them. I have, I have now. It's funny. Before I let you go, I didn't want to say this. I'd heard a lot about 
Levis around here. And you never really know if, if anything's true or if it's just kind of a misdirection going on. A lot about Levis, very little about Richardson. And then I guess the interest in Stroud, if he's available at four. If, if Stroud's available at four, do you think the Colts still would go with Richardson in this case? No, I think they would go with Stroud. I think that's best-case scenario for them. But if CJ's there at number four overall, I think you don't waste any time turning the card in. Um, it sounds like Houston's going to stay at, at two, but anybody – well, I guess I should put it this way. Will Arizona part with number three, you think? Yeah, I would be really surprised if Arizona picked at number three overall just because they have so many holes, and I think they need to trade back just to accumulate – draft capital so they can feel some of those premium needs that they have all right man get back to work you got a lot of it with your contemporaries like they're certainly at espn and espn.com getting everybody draft ready i think about nine days to go and uh we will be there jordan reed at jordan underscore reed uh, at uh, on Twitter, I should say, and uh, he does a great job of analyzing this draft stuff for ESPN.com. Jordan, I appreciate you jumping on here. We'll do it again soon, and enjoy that time. And man, grab some rest coming up after next weekend. All right, you may need a little bit of it. Grab some. Just a little bit, absolutely. Thank you as always for having. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Joining us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, he is the head coach of the Purdue Boilermaker basketball team. It is in a parking lot somewhere near you, Matt Painter. Hello, Matt. How are you? Doing good. How are you? I just did a parking lot conversation myself a month ago with New Edition. It was pretty sweet. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. It was much better than what you get to deal with right here. You'd rather be talking to Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike than me, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, parking lot conversations are, are the best. Hey, how, how have things been going since the end of the season? Good. Just trying to you know, like evaluate things. I think anytime at the end of the season, especially it was such a disappointing finish for us. Like our guys did a lot of really good things. And obviously Zach being national player of the year, um, had a lot of guys really step up and it, it was just frustrating for them probably more than anybody, just how we kind of slowly kept winning some games, but we also were like, from a confidence standpoint, just trying to boost our confidence and, and and feel good about ourselves. But when we've got into these games in the NCAA tournament and the high turnover games, like you, you know, you gotta you gotta take care of the basketball and give yourself a chance, especially when you have a player like Zach Eady and you have a team that was such a good rebounding team. We're one of the best rebounding teams in the country, but if you you know you turn the basketball over you know, you don't have a chance to rebound the basketball. You know, obviously you want shots to go in, but it's like, who are you when shots don't go in? Can you still grind it out and win? And we, that's what we had to be able to do in those situations. But just got to make some subtle changes and got to be better in terms of decision-making, got to be better in terms of really just making open shots. Like we, we, we had a lot of open shots this year that we didn't consistently knock down. And I feel good about our personnel and feel good about what we have coming. 
to, to hopefully make some adjustments there. But you got to be able to score 60 points in the NCAA tournament game from a defensive standpoint. Like you're, you know, you're holding them right there under 60 at the end. You foul a couple times and they get over that point. But you, you got to be better offensively. Like when we made that run to the Elite Eight, like we scored 99 points against Tennessee to go to the Elite Eight. Like you got to be able to score it. We need. We have really done a good job in the last six, seven years. We've been a top five seed or better. And we've done a good job of getting ourselves in these positions. Now it's been the same team that's really beaten us in like smaller, quicker guards. But yet, if you form things to get into the Big Ten, that recipe and those teams would really, really struggle. So you're working towards getting in those positions with a certain type of team, but yet when you get into the NCAA tournament, there's a particular matchup that's really caused you. Well, it starts with turning the ball over. Like, I don't care who you play and their size and what they do, you can't turn the basketball over. And we've just had that those two games against St. Peter's, and it's not really been anything that they're doing. It's been those unforced errors. Both teams pressed us to a degree. We really had very, very few turnovers against it, but it was more in the half court or at the end of plays. So just working towards that, you know, we obviously have some good guards that are returning that we feel good about making that kind of jump. But, um, no, it's it, it's frustrating. It's uh, at times humiliating because we've worked so hard, man. Our staff's worked hard. We've worked hard. And you just want it for your fans and you just want it for your players to get in that kind of position and then make a deep run in the tournament and try to get to a Final Four. But, like, as a competitor, like, you just dust it off. You just, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's tough. But, hey, man you got to move on and like you got to learn from it and, and use it as motivation, and that's what we plan on doing. He is Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. You have moved on. Have you gone back to watch the tape against Fairleigh Dickinson? I have not. I have not. Are we, are we, trash, no, I, are we trashing that forever? Will you ever go back and no, watch no, it? No, no, no. I, I, I just have a tough time with that last game every season. Like, you know, that's what you work towards. So, like, when people say stuff or do stuff, they have no idea. Yeah. You know, you give your, you know, you got people in your family that sacrifice for you. You give everything for it. Your staff gives everything for it. The families of your players, like, you know, we collectively together go on that journey. And we had a great journey. We just had a terrible ending to it. But I, I definitely will watch it. I definitely obviously have watched things before. Now I've studied the numbers and the analytics of the people that have beat us here and how it's kind of the same team and kind of the same trends that are happening. And that's what like people don't understand. Like You're doing everything in your power to stop that from happening again, just like I'm trying to do it right now. But you, you don't want to lose the momentum you've gained and enhance it. Like you'll get people that talk like you want to trade out two non-conference wins for two tournament wins or two two wins in the Big Ten for two like or four tournament wins. Like it's not the way it is. We're not trading baseball cards. It is competition and there's another team there. But like, no, we've always studied – what's worked for us we've always studied some things that haven't worked as much and then we've always tried to make those subtle adjustments to uh, to really help our cause hey matt this is (laughs) nothing against uh, the the personnel that that you have or have had but in in understanding beyond the stuff that that your team you know does to itself in the turnover category uh, is there anything that you're you're thinking about uh moving forward and changing regarding the approach yeah don't turn it over that's a good. That's a hell of a plan, right there, right there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you lose an NFL playoff game, and your quarterback throws four turnovers, has four interceptions. Like, what does the game look like if you don't have the four interceptions? Well, we don't know because we had four interceptions. You can't undo those four interceptions. Like against St. Peter's, we have 16, 17 turnovers. 
against these guys in a possession game, you have 16, 17 turnovers. So it's not a high possession game sometimes in the NCAA tournament. Like it's when you have high volume threes and you make a low percentage and then you have high turnovers, you're just putting yourself in a position where your defense has to be elite if the other team is making it. Like neither team was that good against us offensively and they beat us. And we had to be able to grind those out, but we had to have more opportunities, you know, at the rim. So you just work on the efficiency of running offense. Like it's not pushing a button. The thing that we have done is that we've really gotten the right guy in our program, someone who values education, someone who understands how to play, someone that wants to compete for a championship, where we've been shortchanged a little bit that we really tried to help our cause last year. We didn't quite get there is an athleticism and a quickness. That's what we need more of, and that's what we were short of in that game. We still have quality players, but we do need more athleticism, which I feel is coming with Miles Colvin, which Cam Heidi is sitting out. Um, we signed Lance Jones from Southern Illinois. He was on the all-defensive team two years there. He was an all-conference player there. He's going to give us that other ball handler, too, that can is a combo that can play the one and the two, but also gives us someone that can really, really defend. So our inability sometimes to contain the dribble and also beat people off the dribble by multiple people I think that's really going to help us in those areas. And then just the, uh, you know, the improvement, you know, Fletcher lawyer, Braden Smith, anytime you see that Trey Kaufman ran, you see those guys that are freshmen that now move to their sophomore year. They normally make a big jump. And I would think those three guys from their freshman to their sophomore year is going to make a big jump. Um, I love our front line. Um, I love our backcourt. You know, I love everything about it. We, we just have to be better you know, and, and be more efficient. And then if that's the case and we get into those situations again, that's how we were able to win games during the year. Like we, we were not perfect throughout the year, even though we won our league by three games, but we grinded out a lot of close games and won it. And that's what you've got to be able to do. But you'd rather not be in that position and, and just be more efficient on both ends of the court so you're in a better position, you know, you know, heading into the, the last three, four minutes of the game. Matt Painter joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So we do hear today that Zach Eady has declared for the NBA draft and will go through the process in search of information. Well, sure. You know, he's still, you know, trying to gather a lot of facts and kind of figure out where he stands with everything. You know, I just want him to do what's best for him. I think a lot of people always look at it like the head coach is just trying to convince you to come back. And, you know, I look at it like I wish I was in his position. And, you know, I just want, you know, for him to make the best decision for himself, gather all the facts and make that decision and then support him in whatever he does. If he decides to go to the NBA, support him. If he comes back to Purdue, support him. I just, just continue to help your players, continue to want what's best for them. You know, Dean Smith had a great line that he would always talk about once practice starts we're going to do everything for North Carolina basketball you know and, and that's our focus and it's all about the team no matter who's on our team and then right as the season's over we're going to do everything in our power until the season begins for that individual and then that includes you know what their draft status is and where they are and you, you do everything that you can to kind of take some weaknesses and make them into strengths or enhance their strengths um, with that. But I think it's a great model to really use and like be happy for your, you know, your players. Like Brandon Newman is transferring for us. You know, I'm, I'm happy for him. He got his degree from Purdue. He hung in there. He battled. He fought. Um, he wants a, a more enhanced role. There's nothing wrong with that. And I've been the person when, you know, 
things go wrong, like and someone kind of like leaves and takes off, like I, I've been, you know, on those guys because I don't think you should run from adversity. Like that's not the case here with Brandon. Like he didn't run from adversity. He stayed and he fought and he won a Big Ten championship and he won a tournament championship and he's been in the Sweet 16 and he's got his degree from Purdue. And, uh, you know, he was up in that office every day battling and trying and trying to get it figured out. And he wants more of a role. And um, I respect that. And uh, so I want what's best for him, too. It's a, so I think that's, yeah. that gets lost a lot. It gets lost that just, you know, coaches are just thinking about themselves or their own school. I'll be honest with you. I, the, the whole transfer portal thing gets me lost. Um, and, and I know that from a, a fan standpoint, fans dig it because it's it's like free agency. And that's one thing that I've noticed doing this job, Matt, is that there may even be more love for, you know, free agency and, you know, movement, endless movement than there is sometimes for the right. games themselves where we are now. And it, yeah. it just seems like that this – how much does this muddy – cloud up you know your your vision when you have to deal with stuff like yeah. this year after year yeah well we've taken two transfers in three years so like we're we're at the bottom of that the totem pole what i don't like um about it was what gets the you know you got to have purpose in life and you got to have purpose in this situation because not everybody has these opportunities that these young men and women have and you want to you know, you want to put parameters and rules in place that give them a better chance to be successful in life more than anything. So everybody's not a pro. I don't mean to hurt people's feelings, but like 98, 99% of the players across the board aren't going to play professional basketball. So you have to set up guidelines. When I thought our previous president of the NCAA really did a great job of in the last 10 years, he improved the graduation rates men's basketball but he drastically improved and helped improve and set the parameters for people of color and their graduation rates improving drastically and so now we're going to put in the one-time transfer which has become the two-time transfer the three-time transfer and now what is that going to do for graduation rates well we don't have enough data yet because this portal just started uh, with the one-time transfer a couple years ago and but it's going to lessen the graduation rates and, and that's not, you know, being purposeful. And I, I don't like, like, right away, your question talked about, like, the fans like free agency. Yeah. Like, let's don't lose our purpose. We're trying to take an opportunity for someone to play basketball and get an education to better their lives and have a great family and learn a lot through the way. Because you can learn a lot through sport. And, and, and now have something better for their you know for themselves but also their family because of this opportunity well if you're constantly changing and doing these things and people say hey you know just get with it well i don't want to get with it it's somebody's life it's somebody's future like if you're born into situations of education like my whole family went to college you know you're like you're born into situations like my grandfather's a doctor my dad's an attorney like if if i follow my face i think we got the resources to pick up the pieces but what about somebody from a single parent home what about somebody who has a family that's never went to college and all of a sudden he's just chasing you know trying to play shortstop and lead off and then all of a sudden he's you know been at three or four different schools and then he doesn't get his degree and he doesn't make it as a pro and now did this situation you know put him in a better position that's all we want that's all i want I, I just want guys to be able to have great opportunities and get a great education because 
you know, a vast majority of them aren't professional basketball players. And then I think that gets lost a little bit, like in our purpose and what we're doing. It, it just does. And so now when you look at the transfer portal and you look at these guys jumping in or whatever, and if you can't dribble with your left hand at Purdue, then you can't dribble with your left hand at another school. Like I, you're not going to change who you are. And so like now when you go other places, you have like, Hey, how do you know really what's going on? Well, you got somebody on the phone telling you things and they got seven scholarships. They don't know what's going on. Like they're going to sign you and they still have six. So how can they tell you about your role? This isn't Purdue where you're adding one guy in the spring, two years in a row. There are schools out there that are signing six, seven, eight guys three years in a row because they can't keep people. You know, if you're going to grow people, you got to be able to keep people. And so I understand about transfers and like, I think there's positive transfers, but just allowing a situation for people to jump all over the place. And I don't think from the masses and the numbers that's going to help from graduation rates. And then going forward, like, like, what are we teaching them? They're playing for four or five AAU teams. They played for one high school and then one prep school and then back to their high school. And now they play for three or four colleges. What does it look like when they're 24 years old after doing that for 10 years? You know, and playing on multiple teams across the board in our landscape. You know, I, are they just going to get a job and then just change their job and then change the next job and change that job and keep like, yeah. The millennials, that's what more or less that they do. Well, we in, in our landscape, like, I don't care, but the world doesn't care if you can, you know, make a step back jumper. They just don't care. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, you know, we all got to go out into the workplace. Well, we're, we're sitting here and that's what we do. Like we, we help guys out. Like they come in here, we deal with adversity, we grow from it. Like we become a family for them. And now if this family keeps splitting every nine months, like, who gets lost? Like, I don't get lost in my position. I'm 52. Like, I don't get lost in it. Like, I've already went through what they've went through. I've already had Gene Cady and Bruce Weber and these guys that have helped me. Now it's my time to help them. I just want the avenue and the platform to be able to do it, and I can here at Purdue. Like, I have that, and we do have that because we have retention. But it's going to affect us a little bit more at some point. It's going to come at some point. But the other – people and they talk about hey fans like free agency and fans like this who cares what they like like we're trying to build young people and that's our future the future is always your young people and so now we're trying to build them and help them so now they can run things when it's their turn and they can get what they want outside of an all-conference plaque like you know it, it you can't let people always do what they want to do you just can't you gotta you gotta install in them so they do what's best for them and they do what's best for their family. That's, that's the mindset you have to set. If you just let someone who's 18, 19, 20 years old do whatever they want, like, boy, I'm glad somebody didn't let me do it. Because I <laughs> promise you I would not be on this, this call with you. I promise you that one. And then so and everybody yeah. from my hometown are nodding their heads if they're listening, all four of them that are listening. So, <laughs> Yeah. And, and so you, you see my yes. point? Like, you see where we're going? I do. Like, I don't want to, like, yeah. and people look at it like you're just being greedy. Like, no, I'm, I'm not being greedy. Like, I, I want what's best for other people. Like, I want what's best for our people and our young people that are in this game. And so when they look at these things and say, like, hey, man, like, this is a cool thing. This is a good thing. A cool thing for whose future? Like, and I, and I understand if someone goes to a school and they don't get to play, like, yeah, you went to college to play. Like, Go somewhere else so you can play. I got that. But you got guys leaving that are in good situations because they're just leaving to be leaving. It's change. Like, you've got to be able to understand when you should change. 
You just do in life about a lot of things, right? You just got to understand that. But you can't change for the sake of change. And that's all we're doing. You know, we have a very individualistic setup in our basketball world. We just do. It's very individualistic. You know, JMV's ranked 39th. Matt Painter's ranked 42nd. Well, who says? And if the guy walked in with the button down, that's evaluating. Like, well, well JMV's a four-star. Matt Painter's a five-star. If I showed you the cat that walked in that evaluated him, you'd be like, yeah, well, you all you guys keep calling him a four-star and a five-star because of one person's opinion. It doesn't matter. Like, we, we allow all this bias and we allow all this individual stuff. Well, the last time I checked, whether you're in high school, college, or the NBA, it is a team sport. And the guys that can do that and, and play collectively with other people and understand and play winning basketball, they're the guys that are going to help you. Those are the guys that are going to be successful. But we, we have set these parameters where you're like, well, this sport can leave early and that sport can leave early. And, well, basketball's got to leave early. And we all got to be consistent. And we lose the purpose of what is best for young people. And, and that's all. I, I, I don't like education being devalued. And if you're allowed to transfer all over the place, it doesn't mean some people still can't get their degree because they can. But is it is it enhancing the value of education across the board with the numbers? No, it's not. Is it devaluing education? Yes, and I don't like that. I don't like that for anybody, and I'll fight that all day long. And you've you got to stand up for what's right. We need better leadership from the NCAA. We need better leadership across the board. And, and we got to help young people and do what's right for them. So Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers, before I let you go, my fear is this, and I've stated this, and I don't know where we are. I do want your opinion of it. My fear is that not too soon down the road that the transfer portal is going to mean more in college basketball than the recruitment of an incoming freshman. How close are we to that? Are we there? Uh, we're, we're working towards that. And, like, we're, we're really working towards – because the, the setup that they've done with everything is, is really hurting low to mid-major basketball. Now, you'll see somebody like Florida Atlantic get in there and have success. I'm not saying that from a basketball standpoint. Sure. Like, that's great. Like, Dusty May, like, what he did in coaching, and those guys are good players and putting it together. I'm, I'm not talking on that behalf. I'm just talking, like – now, why should somebody low to mid-major go and recruit a high school kid? Because if he plays well, he just leaves. So yeah. why should they? They should just jump that step. And that's what they're starting to do. And that's what some of them are just flat out doing. Why should we put our resources there when we're not going to be able to keep them? If they don't play, they're going to leave. And if they do play, they're going to leave. So why not just skip that step, go right to the bucket, and just take guys that have already been at one school? Because the guys that have been already at one school are now less likely to leave going to their second school. Now, are they still leaving and going to their third school? Yes, they are, but they're less likely. So they've skipped that step, and now they really are jumping in on guys that have been at their third school because they know they're probably not going to be able to get to their fourth school because their clock's going to run out. And so, like, now we're not going to recruit high school kids as much. Like, that's the – that's it. Like, I, it doesn't – and so when you hear those things that are so obvious and so clear – and, and, and still, we've, we've implemented this. See, anytime you, like, you have legislation or you have new rules or things are happening, I always think the people that install these rules should be able to give you a game plan of how to navigate in these different waters. So I always ask those questions in those meetings. I said, can you give us a template of like, how a low to mid-major school should operate in these waters? And I'm yet to, to, to get real 
like direct feedback or a game plan or anybody doing that, you know, from the national office. It, like it seems like everything's everything's kind of flying by the seat of its pants right now. Yeah, yeah, this, this, yeah. It's, they're out in a pond like, well, you guys adjust and, you know, you guys yeah. are resilient and you guys will figure it out and you guys will learn. Well, what if some guy's an assistant for 20 years and he gets a head coaching job in this mess and now he's got to figure it out and he's never had to navigate those waters and he just, oh, three, four years he loses. He keeps losing guys in the spring and then he doesn't, you know, he gets fired. Then he never gets a head coaching job. Like, like what happens to him? But also what happens to all those kids that are in high school that are now not getting recruited? Like, what should they do? Like, and so what's happening, you're seeing some trickle down and you're seeing some more guys like go D2. And you're seeing more guys at lower levels like get in there. Well, now what you're seeing is a lot of the D1s are now recruiting the D2s because now they've got them at their second school. And once again, they've jumped that step. And they should jump that step because they've been put in a tough spot. They only have so many resources financially to go out and recruit. And now they can sit there and they go, well, we got to save our days for the spring so we can travel around and see people that are leaving schools or whatever because this is our best avenue to get a good player. This is our best avenue to, to put a team together and then just try to grow from there. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it's really difficult and it, it's really hard. But you're still going to see some people have success through it. Like, I don't care what you do. You're going to play a game. You know, one team's going to win, one team's going to lose. Like, you're going to still see people have success, and then people turn around and say, see, it's okay. But if you're not there seeing them how they make the sausage and how they go through things, you know, it's 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 really difficult um, uh, to maneuver. Hey, Matt, I've always said this. I, I love basketball. Basketball has me. Basketball has me regardless. It's never, you know, I'm never going to be turned away from it. But again, as you move forward, other people may not, you know, in, in enjoy it as much as I do. And it just kind of seems like the combination, and it's great, NIL and Transfer Portal, all that, this combination is just leading us down a lack of guardrail path to where you, you don't really know where you're going, but your belief is it's probably not going to be great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I, I, I think, you know, we, we, we have a new president with the NCAA. Um, I, I, I'm, I've yet to hear him speak um, to our group. Maybe I'm so too old. We were, maybe I'm just too old. I mean, I, maybe that's it. No, I, I think you're right. Like, I'm, I'm interested to hear, like, what his, you know, like, his passion is, his mission is. I, I know this. We've, we've had some guys, you know, and it's – it's unfortunate, but we've had some some situations in college basketball where, where where guys have crossed the line, you know, here the past five six years, and they've been caught red-handed, and things have happened, and 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 so like the compliance and how that's structured through the NCAA, like, you know, you're it's not about going after those people as much as it is rewarding the people out there that are doing what they're supposed to. Yeah. And when, when you don't do those things and you don't have a system, you know, what, what's when, when you have a system, like you got to reward the people that do what they're supposed to. And then you got it from a compliance standpoint you know, there, there just has to be consequences for people that don't like that's everything, right? Yep. I mean, that's everything. That's, that's a corporation. Um, that's just law and society right there in a nutshell. Well, we, we don't have that. We don't have that. We, we have people that are out there that, that aren't doing things the, the right way. And for whatever reason, we don't have a system that can hold them accountable. 
but yet this system keeps going on and on. I've been I've only done it for thirty years, but like it's it doesn't work. But yet we keep doing the same things. Then we'll bring in other like groups or what whatever they call that are supposed to make this, you know, quicker and faster and more efficient and kind of getting to the point. Like it's pretty obvious. Like it's it's not hard to figure out like the people in our business that don't do things the right way. And I, I just don't understand how we can't hold those people accountable. And we haven't held those people accountable. They, they continue to get more opportunities and growing and getting better situations or staying in their position for long periods of time while they go through, you know, this whole thing with the NCAA. And I'm, I'm all for due process and everybody, everybody deserves due process, but like, it, it's very frustrating. It is very frustrating for coaches out there um, just to have trust with everything that has happened through the years. Are, are you um are you outspoken when you guys all get together and and have meeting and such? Are you outspoken? Yeah. Regarding this, I'm very, yeah, I say the same things to you that I say to them. Because I, I just um I we've talked about this a lot too, and it just it, it seems like that um I don't know cooler heads prevail. Um, you know, smarts real good prevail. I, I mean, that sounds Southern Indiana of me right there. But I it just it, it seems like that there is an answer down the road if you're willing to look a little bit further forward. It just kind of, as I mentioned, it seems like they're flying by the seat of their plans. You are yeah. one, we are one hundred percent correct. If, if we want to take a step back. Yeah and really open things up and, and have policies and procedures that are the best. A lot of what they're doing, and I don't blame them for what they're doing from the hole that they're in, but the NCAA is just staying out of the courts. That's all they're doing. It's fear of litigation. They're spending so much money. So anything that's restrictive towards a student athlete, they're going to undo. And that's what they're doing here in the portal. That's what they're doing with all the transfers. That's what they're doing with the official visits. They're going to do that with everything because they want to try to eliminate and minimize the millions of dollars they're spending to stay out of the courts and the money that they're spending while they're in the courts. So I understand the position that they're in, but their decision-making process and how they got to that point, they're the reason that they're in that position. And now here we are fighting for our student-athletes and fighting for the game, and they got to make these kind of moves and it just puts everything in a pickle. Well, what about some of those individuals in their future? Like, we're, we're trying to fight, so it's, you know, we're doing what's best for them. We don't want to devalue education. Like, we don't want to, like, let everybody just move and move and move. And, like, there's nothing wrong with transferring. But when you're transferring and everybody's playing in three, four, five schools, that wasn't the purpose of it. It absolutely wasn't the purpose. No doubt from name, image, and likeness. Like name, image, and likeness wasn't from a recruiting standpoint, people being offered large sums of money. No, it was supposed to be able to use your name, image, and likeness right as you get to campus so then you can make that money. That's the purpose. We're not trying to stop somebody from making money. But now you go through the recruiting spot, and, and now who, who benefits? Who benefits from name, image, and likeness? The people with the most money. Like that, like that, that isn't it. So you can't sign a player because you don't have X amount of dollars. Well, that's what the rule wasn't put in for that. But yet that's what's happening. And we're, we're not doing anything about it. Like, I, at least on the surface, you know, they're not doing anything about it. They're not discussing it. They're not trying to get to it. Like, like there's a lot of, um, you know, politicians that really push for that. But why can't those politicians come into a room and speak with basketball coaches and basketball players and sit down and, and really just, you know, chop it up 
so they know everything so we can do what's best for them. We're not trying to take that away. We're trying to enhance that and help that, but we didn't need it in the recruiting space. Well, it's smack dab in the recruiting space. So who benefits the most from it? Well, well, schools with the most money. And, and that's, that wasn't the intent, but yet here we are and we have this system and we just point the finger and say, well, we don't have anything, you know, and we don't have any support. We don't have anybody coming to the table to help us. Well, leadership starts at the top. Last time I checked. Like, you get beat in the tournament like it's the head coach's fault. Like, it's my fault. We have struggled in the NCAA tournament. It is my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. But when you get to the national level, well, whose fault is it? Like, I don't see anybody raising their hands. Like, we need some leadership, and we need to do what's best for our student-athletes in all of college basketball to help them. Not necessarily the 1%. Matt Painter joins us. We know as of today that Zach Eady is going to get that information as far as declaring for the NBA draft is concerned. But also there have been some interesting hoops you've had to jump through regarding NIL money for Zach, being that he's from Canada. How is that working? Yeah, well, we're working towards uh, him trying to help that, obviously, being from Canada and being on a student visa. So we're working on him getting a different visa um, because he was National Player of the Year. So a little bit different. Uh, he's put himself in a different box, but um, it's something um, in Canada that you can do when you have reached that kind of a status where you can have a different visa. So we're still in the process of that. We haven't uh, gotten that yet, but that will definitely help him be able to do his work here instead of having to go to, back home to Toronto to be able to do his work. So, yeah, it's different. There's no doubt he's put himself in a different position. And um, we've kept things the same for everybody that comes in um, from an initial standpoint. And then while you're here, you can grow it here um, through our Boilermaker Marketplace, um, through our collective, and then different things like that. But we do it through our collective. We do it through charities, which I think was a great idea by our administration. They've really done a great job. We have a young man named Jack Gallagher, who's our liaison, who's done a fabulous job with our name, image, and likeness. And I really like it. I really like what it's been able to do. Um, But we've also kept it out of the recruiting space, which I think is the right thing to do. So I don't get in the bidding wars. If somebody's looking for the highest number, then... Purdue's not your spot. You know, you can't forget about the number at the end of the day, and that's what Purdue's going to do for you and the education you're going to get from Purdue. That number is going to be greater, and you got to keep that in perspective. And I'm not trying to get people to stay away um, from entertaining that and, and, and doing name, image, and likeness because they rightfully should. But they also need to keep in perspective that they're going to live for 60 more years, and, and that, that 60 years is more important than the next six months. Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Man, I can't thank you enough. I always enjoy the conversation. I just sit back and and listen, and I know the folks out there do as well. Stay in touch, and we'll get you back on when we uh, solidify things a little bit further down the road and see how you're doing gotcha. going into the summertime, Matt. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks, man.